Right, this episode is all about trying to pinpoint reasons why you may not be attracting as many clients as you want. As I'm doing it through a podcast, I won't be able to give you straight answers, but I will ask you questions and give you things to consider so that you can get closer to some answers. So keep listening, and if you're not in a position to make notes, do save this episode to listen to later. I hope you find it useful. Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha, and I'm so pleased you're here. As an education business owner myself and a former teacher, I understand the nuances that only apply to us. So in this podcast, I share fluff-free, tailored and actionable ideas that you can mould to suit your needs. If you'd like to take this conversation further, please do reach out. I would love to meet you. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review. That way, you'll be helping me help more people. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. So to really get the most out of this episode, I want to give you a heads up. Some of what I talk about might be hard to hear and they may even make you feel a little defensive or you may not really want to consider some of my suggestions. All of that is okay and it's entirely your choice how you choose to take action. But all I would request is that you keep an open mind and have a willingness to be really honest with yourself. As always, I'll give you ideas for solutions, so don't worry, you're not going to leave this episode with more questions than answers. So let's get to it. Here are the elements I'm going to unpack to help you triage why you may not be attracting as many clients as you'd like. I'll talk about how you can check if there's an alignment between what you offer and what your clients want. Then I'll move on to helping you ensure that you're conveying the right messages. And I'll also talk about whether you're really doing what works in terms of visibility and marketing. And finally, I'll help you analyse your processes to make sure you're not missing a small step that can make a big impact. Let's start with the first thing on my list, checking that there's an alignment between what you offer and what your clients want. The bottom line here is that we won't sell anything if our clients haven't identified that they need it. We could try and convince them. We could try and brute force making a gap in the market. But both of those things make our jobs a lot harder and often result in lower sales. So here's what I mean. Let's say that having spoken to so many education business owners, I decided that they really need help with their mindset. They're just not thinking like business people. This isn't true, by the way. I'm just using it to make my point. So I can see there's an issue. No one has told me it's an issue, but me, the expert, has decided. So I create a course that works on mindset. I share how so many education business owners don't have the right mindset, and this course will fix that. Now, I would put money on that idea making very few sales, even if it were true and very much in need. And here's why. Firstly, I'm leading my offer and therefore my marketing with the problem, not the solution. And secondly, I'm continually highlighting where my clients are falling short and that's never going to make them feel good. Have you ever heard the sales and marketing phrase of making your customers the hero? Well, it's true. Also, I'm not listening. I made the decision about what they need instead of responding to what they're telling me they need. Now, there is a style of selling that's driven by fear. You can create desire by highlighting fear. Something like, if you don't take this course and fix your mindset, you'll never make sales. But personally, I don't subscribe to that. You might, and if you do, then just ignore this first point. But if you'd rather make sales in a more positive way, listen first and create later. Create offers that you know your clients want because they say so. 
Another way there could be a misalignment is if you're simply targeting the wrong people. So let's say you offer a service to busy teachers that require them not only to spend money, but give up a fair amount of their time. You know they need it and they know they need it, but are they likely to buy it? Probably not, because you haven't aligned your offer with the position that they're in. They're teachers and they are used to putting themselves last, so will they invest in themselves? Many won't. They might be more likely to buy something for their students before they buy something for themselves. Secondly, they're busy and they're overwhelmed, so they're unlikely to feel able to make time to commit to what you're offering. However, you could transform that by making your offer easier for them to consume or by presenting it in a way that reduces their workload, not adding to it. Another way is you could pivot. You could redirect your offer to teachers who are in more of a position to invest. So instead of trying to work with teachers who are in the thick of it, maybe try working with teachers who are thinking of leaving the profession or who have just left. They're already in the mindset of putting themselves first and are ready to make a change. Of course, this specific example may not apply to you, but I just want you to extract the principle and see if you can apply it to your situation. The other day in a Facebook group, a tutor was saying how she couldn't understand why everyone she spoke to were trying to negotiate a discount. As we unpacked it, it turned out that she was only targeting people local to her and in her area, she was far more expensive than the going rate for tutors. So again, there was a misalignment and she had to reconsider. Should she reduce her prices or widen her reach? So that's lesson number one. Make sure that your offer and the way you present your offer makes your clients feel positive and inspired and is aligned with how they think and the position that they are in. The second thing on my list is to ensure you're conveying the right messages. This also leans into the principle that it's about your customers and what they want, not about what you want them to know. When I first launched group classes online, my marketing was pretty successful and here's why I think it was. At first, I would publish posts about what was included in my group, but then I transformed them to be led by responding to possible objections. For instance, I started by including how each lesson was recorded. That didn't get any attention. Then I changed it to how each lesson was recorded for replay so that students could catch up with missed lessons. That made sales. Just by adding a few words, that statement went from being dry to addressing a reason why someone might hesitate to book. I remember having this conversation once in one of our mastermind sessions and one of my clients had been talking about how her clients get access to a Facebook group. So she changed it to how they had access to a supportive community and to her so they could ask unlimited questions. The addition of those words boosted the inquiries she was getting. It went from you can access a Facebook group too. This is why you would be interested. So a good place to start is by listing all the reasons why someone might hesitate to invest in your offer and also make a list of questions that people may ask or have asked. Returning to my group class example, I remember people asking questions like how many students there were in the class, what the curriculum was and how I ensured each student got my attention. So I created content that answered those questions and wherever possible, I proved my answer instead of just telling them and expecting them to believe me. So when you have a list of these objections and questions, think about how you can present your offer, whether it's on your website or through your marketing, by pushing the benefits first, the things that your customers want to know. If you can answer questions before they've been asked, you're making decision making much easier for your potential clients. And think carefully about language. Often we exclude information because we think it's obvious or implied. 
Like that example of me saying each lesson is recorded. Surely I'm recording them so that people can replay them, right? Well, I needed to explicitly state that to increase the number of people enrolling. So leave no stone unturned and make no assumptions. People are busy, people scan through content, so we need to make it really easy for them to consume. The third thing on my list is about making sure you're focusing on marketing and visibility activities that actually benefit your business. Here's a conversation I had with a client a while back. She loves marketing on Instagram. She loves it. She uses the platform personally. She loves the creative element and she just gets the platform. So that's where she focuses her marketing efforts. However, it isn't attracting many clients. She puts so much work in and often feels dejected that her hard work isn't paying off. Now, this client of mine isn't a tutor. She actually sells to other tutors like me. And having experienced what a difference having a podcast makes, I suggested it to her. In fact, I didn't just suggest it. I made a real case for it. And while I was speaking, she was nodding her head. And at the end, she said she was totally sold except for one hiccup. She didn't want a podcast. She said how she won't enjoy it as much as Instagram marketing and she hates the idea of making such a big commitment. She was a little pacified when I said it could just be a limited series, but still, she understood why it could make a difference, but she wanted to stick to what she enjoyed. Now, you might be listening to this and thinking, this makes no sense. Why would she continue on Instagram if it isn't working? But you'd be surprised at how many of us are guilty of making choices that we like over what works. So I'm going to ask you to ask yourself whether you're doing this, and it doesn't have to just apply to marketing. As I'll talk about later, you might choose not to offer something like a discovery call because you don't want to give up your time. You just want people to press a button and buy. But what if people want to speak to you first? In that situation, you simply have to make a choice. What's more important to you? Making fewer sales and protecting your time or spending your time to make sales? I do want to say that I'm coming from a completely non-judgmental place here. I do believe we have to do things on our terms. It's our business and therefore our choice. But at times we simply have to decide what's more important to us and let that guide our choices. Sometimes we will choose fewer sales over something else and that's absolutely fine. The same concept applies to visibility work. Have a listen to episode 73 for more on visibility or join us in the Tutors Mastermind for in-depth training. But visibility is where you position yourself as an authority in your niche and you aim to be in the right places over loads of places so that people come to you. Let's say I decided one of my visibility activities was to go for PR opportunities and I came across an opportunity talking about the best ways to teach English. Now, although I can talk about that, it would actually be a very rubbish choice if I was trying to be more visible for upgrade your education business, because I don't generally talk about teaching. I may in a one-to-one session if someone wants me to, but usually I refer them elsewhere. I talk about business, so that needs to be the focus of what I talk about elsewhere too. And since I specifically work with education businesses, it's more ideal if I engage with a PR opportunity that my target audience are engaged in or likely to come across or be interested in. So it's really important that we're intentional with our marketing and visibility. We need to make strategic choices and sometimes that requires some experimentation beforehand. Sometimes you do just have to try things before understanding whether it's beneficial to your business. But that is the important part here, to actually track your results and ask that question. If you don't, you risk aimlessly spending time and possibly money doing things that simply don't work. 
And my fourth thing on the list was to make sure your processes are catered to what your clients need and want. Earlier, I shared the example of not offering a discovery call because you don't want to give up your time. And in that situation, you might question whether it's worth offering just to see if it's a missing step that's stopping sales. Now, please do bear in mind that this is just an example. I'm by no means saying you absolutely have to offer discovery calls. But the reason it sprang to mind is because once I was delivering some training to the qualified tutors community and it was all about the customer journey, essentially putting things in place to guide people through the sales funnel. And I returned the following week to take some questions after people had had a chance to try some things out. And one of the members said how she had added a discovery call to her offer and her inquiries went from zero to four overnight. So this doesn't necessarily demonstrate that you need a discovery call, but it does demonstrate that we need to have things in place to make it easier for our clients to make decisions. In my one-to-one sessions, looking at the marketing and sales process and then the onboarding process is really common. And more times than not, very small changes to those processes unlock sales. I recently made a suggestion to one of my clients to create an information pack for people who are interested in her group classes. We designed it together. And once she added that, in just one week, she had double the number of people express interest in her classes than before. So we knew that worked and we then were able to focus on how to guide them from that point to actually buying. So if you're doing this independently, map out some journeys clients may take. So for instance, if they're connected to you on Facebook, where are you taking them to next through your calls to action that gets them closer to becoming a customer? If someone's on your email list, how are you constructing your sequence of emails to nurture them to becoming a customer? Now, I can't go into much more detail than that on this point because it partly depends on how your business is set up and what your business model is. And also it is work that I do with clients. But here are three things to make sure you tick off the list. Number one is that it should be easy. Your processes should be easy. So something as simple as presenting your terms and conditions and asking people to tick a box instead of signing and returning it could make a difference. Number two, people shouldn't feel rushed through the process, but it shouldn't be unnecessarily lengthy either. And number three is that it should give them a professional experience so that you strengthen their faith that they will have a professional experience when they work with you as well. So I hope this episode has given you some ideas of areas to look at to boost your sales. You may want to focus on just one aspect or all of them. And if you choose the latter, I'd really recommend choosing one area at a time. And don't rush it either. Give any changes that you make time because results don't happen overnight and you need time to track those changes to see what parts of them are working and which parts aren't. As always, thanks for listening and you'll hear from me on Wednesday for the last episode of the season. I'll be taking a week off after that, but I'll be back for season nine with more actionable ways for you to launch, grow and scale your education business. You'll hear from me on Wednesday. Would you like to take this discussion further? Perhaps you have some questions or you'd like more ideas on tailoring your business. If so, book a free discovery call through the link in the show notes.